Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Strife Sanctum. My name is Citizen Strife, and this week's anime review is a subdued, mystical, and yet fun drama about magic, romance, and sometimes very deep, somewhat depressing things, despite its appearance. I'm talking about The Ancient Magus Bride. And I had recently rewatched this in lieu, uh, like, in preparation for the second season. And I have to admit, this was another one of those much like Ascendance of a Bookworm that got better as I rewatched it. And that does happen from time to time. Sometimes shows, as things go on, don't stick. And stay as good as they were. Uh, I'm looking at Devil as a part-timer. And uh, especially Rising of the Shield Hero. Which had cool ideas but ha ran out of steam. These two shows, and I'm going to bring them up quite a bit. Because they kind of counterpoint each other. They're not made by the same people. But they share similarities in some ways. They have concepts that can constantly be remade and retooled and ancient Megas bride specifically because it dabbles in magic you know alchemy mythology and that's something that even ascendance doesn't do because ascendance is more high fantasy and stuff like that Megas bride succeeds at being a lot more dramatic a lot more intense with its mythological focus and it does play itself for laughs but by and large it lets the visuals and the dramatic times and the talking points and the subtle romance play keen so i know that i set ascendance later than this the best way i would put it would be ascendance goes more for comedy like a I would say a 50 to 60% comedy bend, maybe 60% even comedy bend. This goes for probably 70% drama, 30% comedy, if that. So if you're looking for a difference, you can go for that. If you want something a little darker, you go this. If you want something a little lighter, you go for Ascendance. But either way, you're going to go well. Anyway, the reason I bring that up is because the setups are fairly similar, at least the characters anyway. Because in Magus Bride, the main character is Chise Hattori, and she's voiced by Danny Chambers. And Danny Chambers was in stuff like Shadows House, Ace Attorney, uh, Case Study of Vanitas, stuff like that. In this, she plays Chise, who is sold at an auction. She has a rough life. In the early seasons, they don't talk about what goes on they kind of reference it here and there she says very close-minded she doesn't really want to talk much she's very downcast and gets just sells herself off doesn't want to be around her family later on it'll explain why she ended up the way she did but for all intents and purposes at the beginning she says just a you know a high school girl contemplating suicide i think or at least definitely weighing the option 
But somebody says, hey, I will give you to somebody else at the highest bidder. I offer this weird auction of weird, you know, curiosities and hobbies and all this other stuff. And you would be just the right person for that sort of thing. So she goes to an auction. And unbeknownst to her, you know, mystical stuff be damned, you know, because she's just from Japan. What does she know? At the auction, she ends up getting bought by this hooded figure known as Elias. And Elias Ainsworth, voiced by Brian Mathis. And Mathis is in um, space space battleship Yamato, Decadence, all this other stuff. Um, This is the one he's mostly known for as the secondary main protagonist. And Elias is a mage. And he makes a distinction that he is different from other people like alchemists or whatever. But he buys her for some ungodly sum of money. How he gets that, we don't know. We just go with it. So, he buys her because he knows that she is what is known as a sleigh baby. And the reason I bring up the... uh, Ascendance of a Bookworm is it's kind of the same idea. Is... They're done, they're done in different ways, but essentially, Chise and mine act fairly similarly in terms of where their powers come from. It's kind of welling from in them. In mine's case, it's more of a disease that will take her life or causes a lot of pain here and there. In Chise's case, the fact that she can't really control her magic at all is decreasing her lifespan to an insane, insane degree. So, again, for both worlds' mechanisms, they're essentially the same thing. This crazy disease that causes a lot of magic power to well up within them, and they just are sought-after commodities because of that. So, the first few episodes are played kind of for laughs, in a way, because Elias has taken Chise home in the middle of... I believe England or something and just some offshoot cottage somewhere and their caretaker is Silky and Silky's awesome she doesn't really talk at all but she's just standing there as this like housemaid and like anytime she gets to interact with the characters she she's one of the best characters which is great she's just there enough to be that like welcoming presence and then there are times where she'll show up and you'll actually learn about her backstory it's actually kind of neat but they only do so much because again she's essentially mute in most cases but it is kind of neat so she takes care of the things while Elias is there and she says spending a couple of episodes trying to learn what it is to be a sleigh baby what that even encompasses ends up going into different worlds and different ideas, learns that in this world, mages can kind of, like, bend things to their will and just make magic out of nowhere. So there's a distinction between what are known as alchemists and mages. And in this, much like, say, Fullmetal Alchemist, the idea with alchemists is they are using what is available in the world and they're 
not really disturbing the natural order. Mages can kind of fuck with everything and do what they want. That's why they're kind of relatively obscure and very sought after and super powerful. And then when you have this character known as a slave Aggie, Chise, who has just this insane power level that gets shown a lot of times, yeah, it gets attention. And it's Elias's job to take her under his wing and make sure she doesn't do anything stupid with that power. But at the same time, she understands eventually that that power comes at a price and she only has a few years left to live. So he's trying to figure out ways to keep her alive. So he bought her not only as an apprentice to keep mages from going extinct, but he also wants to keep her as a bride, so to speak. The interesting thing about Elias, and I think that's what where the relationship works, is that Chise knows human relations and all this stuff and, you know, normal people stuff. Elias is this makeshift being with <laughs> just this gigantic, like, demonic-looking being with, like, a cow skull for a face. You know, he talks normally, of course. And what's cool is sometimes he'll actually makeshift actual human faces. I think it's every so often he'll he'll do that. In the first few episodes, he does like a like a Chris Hemsworth or Fabio looking face or Kevin Sorbo looking face. Later seasons, in the most recent seasons, he's actually gone for the female look, and I I love it whenever he does the female look. Because I'm like that doesn't look like that should work, but okay. But it, it's kind of neat. So he's able to blend in with society on occasion. Otherwise, he'll just use a, a veil. Or, if people know him, he just lifts the veil and they see his face and, you know, deal with it. But he's very... He's very polite. And very understanding. But his wisdom and intelligence about the real world is not all there. He doesn't understand what it means to be a bride and groom. He doesn't understand what it is to, you know, give gifts and stuff. So he, he a lot of the characters that they meet, he will ask them questions about how to deal with real people. And you get to see these sequences here and there of characters that he's met in his life and he tries to learn and he asks Chise as well, like, what is the concept of their relationship? Are they actually going to be married someday? Seems like an odd thing, but they actually, you know, grow closer together despite their differences. But it's not as easy as it sounds. A lot of the main storyline not only deals with going to separate worlds. They go to elven worlds, dra draconic worlds... They go to um, a lot of, like, D&D-inspired stuff, but also mythological places. You see a lot of fairies. You see a lot of dragons. You see um, also some very dark, disturbing things going on, and that has to do with the main antagonist, Cartophilus, uh, voiced by Josh Grell. And Cartophilus, I believe that's how it's pronounced, his whole thing is he's like a necromancer sort of deal. And he is, by all accounts, immortal and done like it and is taking it out on everybody else. Uh, 
So his experiments are trying to figure out how people die. Not sure how that works, but I guess if you're in immeasurable, intense pain all the time, I guess not wanting that would be something. I've seen that before with characters like Albedo from Xenosaga, so it's not a foreign concept. But by and large, this guy causes all manner of disgusting things to happen throughout the story. And like one of the ones I remember was the early on... This guy is trying to either save his life or save his wife or something. And he butchers cats under Cartophilus's watch to create a potion to either extend his life or something else. I forget what, but it's very... Ugh. It's it's disgusting. Like I said, this show, much like Ascendance, is a lot darker than it looks because they focus on the mystical and the magical aspect. When they want to get dark and they want to get dis depressing and disturbing, they can. So Cartophilus is doing all these crazy things. He happens upon Chise, obviously somebody in his position would. So there's always this kind of back and forth. So... They're weaving him into the story as the main antagonist. And later on in the first season, they come at odds. Because Chise's whole thing is she's trying to survive. Elias is trying to do what he can to help her survive. Sometimes in means that are not the best. And it comes up into fighting. But then Cartophilus either kidnaps her or whatever. And they get into these arguments. It's like, you have everything you want because you have everything that I want because you can die and I can't. So why the fuck are you here? And he, he wants to make a trade. He says, I will give you my endless life if you give me the chance to die. And she's like, doesn't want any of it. She's just cursed in this weird situation. And, and she's trying to implore on him that it's not all it's cracked up to be, you know, mortal life is not as fun as you'd think so there's the there's this kind of like moral dilemma at play and then you end up having a curse like right before that climactic moment chise gets cursed yet again by this like weird dragon thing it's like dragon's blood or something like that so she gets all that magic power and a dragon's curse and then shenanigans ensue and they end up kind of I, I how would i describe it fusing together so all of the stuff that could have happened will and they end up kind of like trading their life forces and now chise can survive and that's where the major next season happens uh, I don't want to give too much away because it's a, it, it's hard to explain this show, honestly. It's very slow-paced, and it's very hard to explain everything that goes on, especially since there's new seasons like coming out. Like, this season is the second part of the second season, you know, and they have OVAs and all that stuff. This is very intense and all-encompassing stuff, but you got the... Cat stuff. You have Kachi. You have Lenan Shid. You have all sorts of mystical, cool stuff added on to human experiments. 
mages, alchemists, alchemists kidnapping people, weird stuff going on, sleigh baggies, this guy with a cow for a head, all the all this stuff going on in that first season. And then you add on the fact that OVAs also happen as well. So in between the first and second seasons, while the uh, second season was being produced, they have like three episode OVAs. I watched the one, I think it was the Knight from the West or the boy with the Knight from the West, something like that, about this kid who becomes a friend to this other person who's... um part of this like roving band of nightmare hoarders the best way i would describe it they're just this band of knights that float in the sky and just cause death and destruction sort of thing and the kid doesn't really understand it well how could he he's just some random kid who likes mythology and stuff so it it, it doesn't focus so much on chisi and elias more but it's one of those like side stories there's a there's another one as well that I haven't seen, but again it's it's a bit of a side story, so it's not focusing on Shise and Elias so much as other things around them. So they're reacting to things. It gives them something else to do, so that in the second season they get to focus on the school of alchemy or college, because this was referenced in the first season, but now they get to kind of change it up. The first season was about. Chise and Elias's relationship and how to introduce our, us to the world and you know all these competing forces and now you have a whole host of new characters you can add to it because you have people Chise's age you can add in she was in high school and now she's basically in college and she gets exempt from stuff and entered because of her status and Elias obviously helping with that. So all of the manner of the students are, you know, I think there was a Gorgon in there. There's a person who dabbles in like spycraft because that's her family business and they become sort of pseudo antagonists. But, you know, Chise and her end up becoming somewhat friendly. You know, they do enough to not detract from chise as the main character but they add in new characters to keep things going they focus a little bit on renfred and alice and renfred and alice voiced by jared green and jennifer green respectively were the alchemists in the first season um trying to get chise away from elias but they end up coming to like begrudgingly become friends here and there or just friendly acquaintances in most cases so Chise and Alice end up going into the school and they're not like bunking together and whatever, but they're also like friendly enough, you know, so there's all sorts of other competing weighing interests. It's more of a political intrigue school setting. If I, if I could gauge that correctly, the main story arc has to do with Chise's roommate lucy who is part of this webster incident and there's this like tome that's also in at play it's called a testament of karna karna magos i believe so the idea is that stuff happened and this thing got stolen from the library in the college and they don't know who's done it 
so you know the competing interests of multiple characters and all these like interesting dark societies kind of at play so you still have the mystical element but you add in the school setting and having to fit in and all this other stuff you even have the auctioneer coming back from the first season ending up being related to lucy which is a nice touch so they're tying things back from the first season very well giving you even more to work with kind of again how ascendance started as the hey i'm just going to make books in this new society it's going to be great and then layering on all of the magic and high fantasy and you know church stuff this shows you the world outside of you know typical japanese society they're in england and they do all the stuff and it's sort of modern day but it's also very mystical and all that junk now you dive into this new like mythological school for the gifted it's like the x-men if it was like mythological creature sort of thing and it's kind of nice it's 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 tugging on all these like cool plot threads that you could really like engage i felt like and I, and I know that's why they had a second full season, and that's why I'm very curious about the second core, is because they barely tapped all the potential that this show can offer. Because high fantasy, Irish mythology, English mythology, all that stuff, they can dabble in so many different cool things that they want to do. It's one of these things that, provided they don't overuse the Chisei and Elias thing, as a crutch, which which they don't. They do enough that they're the main characters and they stick with it. They don't belabor a single point. They stick with what they need to and they weave things in here and there. But again, there's always a risk. And I saw this with something like Fractal. I saw Fractal a couple of weeks ago. Um, they tried to tell a story that was like 30 to 40 episodes long in 11. Sometimes there's a show that takes forever to get anywhere and they take forever to get anywhere and it becomes boring. I'd say Megas Bride skirts that line where it moves very slowly, but not so slowly that there's no progress being made. And when you understand that you got that first season that's full of stuff, of character drama. You add in the the OVAs that are these side stories that are things that you probably could have put in the main storyline but didn't for one reason or another, but you gave them their own shunted off thing. You didn't even focus on Shisei and Elias as much, mostly just there. And then the school setting, which gives you a different feel, a different season, a different mode. It allows you to readjust just enough that it doesn't feel like you're belaboring the same points over and over. So you still have a separate side story. It's another story on top of the story because Chisei is still alive. You know, her her main story arc now isn't, hey, I'm going to die soon. It's now, hey, how does she live with all of this crazy magic power and interact with society? And you have all those old school feelings of being in school again. How does she interact socially knowing that she's been around Elias forever and that can only get you so far. But it's also about Elias learning about all of the stuff that he's learning because he's kind of 
socially awkward. You know, so you have these two competing main characters that work together in this world that is both modern yet mythological. And that's where Magus Bride really succeeds, is that you have so many different competing things that you can feel that the story can really go anywhere. But it moves at a slow enough pace that it doesn't leave you behind. It doesn't feel like it's trying to tell you 50 million stories all at once. It's trying to tell you 50 million stories that could happen with these plot threads. But it never feels like it's overstating a point. It never feels like it's underselling itself. It's like a perfect balance of a dramatic show with enough comedy that you're you're along for the ride. So would I definitely recommend Megas Bright? Yes, I would. It's a very slow, not excruciatingly slow, but it is on the slower side of, of shows. It is, it is not an easy watch some of the time. But if you're in the mode for a somewhat darker and somewhat, you know, subdued drama with a lot of stuff that is piled on as things develop, you know, overarching plot lines and you want strong characterization this is a show you can definitely sink your teeth into i'm sure the manga does it as well but again i'm an anime watcher so that's what i do anyway that will do for today again i didn't want to give away too much about magus bride because again there's way too damn much in this show but hopefully that's enough to stem the tide but let's see what's on the docket for the next couple of weeks so next week should be halloween and at time of recording it's early or it's late september early october so i'm a little ahead but yes so at time of at the recording after this next week will be the halloween episode and i'm going to focus on witch hunter robin Nice show about witches and stuff in Japan. I haven't seen it in a while, but I can remember it. I love it. Speaking of things I remember quite a bit, uh, in fact, and it's very topical given that the ports for the new for the old games are going to come back in the uh, classic collection. Metal Gear Solid Two, sort of a game that has a higher profile than it used to, because I remember when this came out, people hated it. You know, because three is the one everybody likes. One is the one everybody likes, but two and four, eh, five, eh. but people have liked two a lot more than they used to. They still kind of eh, unwritten, but hey, anyway, I'll talk about that itself. An episode I believe I've already recorded out of order is Ascendance of a Bookworm. <laughs> Speaking of a show that I've already already talked about. Um, but yeah, a lot of similarities between that one and Megas Bride. Again, more comedic, but still having its more intense dramatic moments when it needs to. Uh, next episode after that will be a bit of a change. And I have not seen this movie in forever, and I want to before the time I get to it. Will be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the 1990 movie. Oh, God, I love that movie as a kid. So I get to watch that movie again, and I'll try... I'll try re reviewing it. I don't want to review it from memory, though. It was one of those like movies that I would watch all the time as a kid. Because you, you always have those. You have those things that you just 
watched all the time. I think it was this and Toy Story were like the two movies that I remember just always watching. And yeah, I loved it. So I can't wait to talk about that. And Black Butler is the last thing on the list. That'll be later in November. So I've got some time to refresh my memory on Black Butler. I have seen all of it. And I'm hopefully getting into a rewatch phase. I'll watch it again before I review it again. But hey, we'll see how that works. I know enough about it that I can probably do it off memory. But that'll do for today. And I will see you guys next time. Citizen Strive, signing off.